Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Portions of the Oilers Now podcast are brought to you by ProAmSports.ca. 630 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. Back, everybody. Second hour of Oilers now, live from Rogers Place, where the Holinka Gretzky tournament is taking place. Canada last night crushing Switzerland 10 0. Very impressive performance. 11 Western Hockey League players in the game. Today, down in Red Deer, Russia takes on the uh, Czechs. Russia blew out Finland yesterday, and also in Red Deer, Finland in the United States. Uh, the United States took care of business against the Czechs yesterday as well. Canada, meanwhile, will host Slovakia tonight at 7 o'clock at Rogers Place. At 3 o'clock today, it'll be Sweden and Switzerland. This is Oilers Now. The second hour of Oilers Now is brought to you by our title sponsor, Digitex. Digitex has our office printer and supply needs covered. They do it all, and they could be doing it all for you. We're going to head straight off to the River Cree Resort Casino Hotline. River Cree has Nazareth on August 12th and a little river band on August the 16th. They've got Steve Earle and the Dukes coming in to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Copperhead Road. That'll take place September 23rd. We had Peter Shirelli on in the first hour and uh, another individual that's going to be involved with the Center Ice Summit here uh, in Edmonton over the course of the next few days is Paul Carson. He is the VP of Hockey Development from Hockey Canada, and he joins us uh, on Orders Now. Uh, Paul, welcome back to our show. How are you doing? I'm good, Bob. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, maybe explain to our listeners... Exactly what does the VP of Hockey Development for Hockey Canada do? Well, everything that's grassroots. So as as proud a, as I am of all our high-performance programs, that's, uh, that's what development feeds into. And our job is really to... Um, uh, to work on the foundation of the game at the grassroots level, everything from tight hockey all the way through to midget, uh, refereeing, coaching, player development initiatives. So uh, we take care of all of that, and uh, we have a great staff that uh, that really works closely with the branches across the country, including Hockey Alberta right here in, uh, in Alberta. So um, we're pretty thrilled to be a part of building uh, the future of the game. Uh- you know, it's one of the things that we've seen, and, and I, I think you can use, just because of the fact that Europeans play hockey as well, but I think you can use soccer as a little bit of an analogy. The countries that have really emphasized getting uh, higher rated and better coaches into youth sport are the ones that are developing players. 
And I, I look to, uh, you know, Germany won the World Cup in 2014, and I know it didn't go well for them this past year, but they bombed out of the 2,000 euro. It was uh, embarrassing for a country that's been as consistently good as them. They placed a tremendous emphasis on skill development, but they also placed a real emphasis on coaching. And, you know, you look at Canada now. We're Paul, we're a very different country internationally in hockey than we were and we we always had top-end players, don't get me wrong, but do you think there are some parallels there, even with France in soccer, where they've got, you know, uh, heavy education taking place, they've got more coaches, certainly more coaches in a country like England, and as a result, they're getting better teaching for their kids at a younger age. Uh, I think that's an excellent comparative, Bob. I think the reality is... If you look at the master plan that Germany went through in their reconstruction in the World Cup of Soccer when they won four years ago, uh, their focus was on building their coaching education program and building what we call the regional center model. So making sure that there were uh, literally hundreds of these regional centers uh, located throughout the country to service the athletes uh, in their neighborhoods as opposed to streamlining and having all athletes move into uh, national team programs uh, or national team resources at a younger age and I think that's that's what we've done in hockey is uh, you know our branch partners so our member branches from BC right through to Newfoundland and to um, um, northern Canada uh, they do a very good job of of hosting the programs locally uh, that allow players to build and thrive and eventually uh, look to move on to the environments where uh, they can continue to build their skill set. So uh, we're really proud of our coach education program and the coaching leadership. Uh, it's it's a daunting task. It's a very big country. Uh, we often have to tell other federations we're five and a half time zones. Uh, which means a lot of travel in order to do anything at a national level. Yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable when you think about it, and uh, and and I really do think there's been, you know, when I and, and you look at where the best players come from. All right, right, Canada's got <laughs> two players that are considered the top two players in the world, but the support is there as well. And in any given tournament, you could have you know two teams. Which correlates into the next point of conversation that I wanted to go. I mean, how difficult you got three teams for what the U17s, then you get down to the one team for the U18 and for the Holinka event. But that's got to be a daunting task for the people in your organization. I know we had Brad McEwen on the show on Friday, just because of the amount of depth that does exist in Canada because of the work that's getting done at the grassroots level. Well, I, I I certainly appreciate where those young players come from, but uh, I give those players and their families a lot of credit uh, for the opportunities that their families afford those youngsters. Our job um, at the high performance level, Brad does a great job, and Scott Salmon and his team, uh, they know where every player is in the country um, and how that player is doing. They, they track everybody. So, you know, even though we might have three teams go to the under 17 uh, World Challenge, there's still opportunities for players outside that uh, that number of, I, I think, approximately 66 players uh, to be invited to an under-18 camp. Um, even after an under-18 camp, there's still room for players outside of those numbers to be invited to a national junior team camp. The, the pool is large and the tracking that goes on is very sophisticated. So uh, happy to say that players have opportunities 
uh, continually to, to move into uh, the next phase of the program of excellence. Paul Carson from Hockey Canada joining us on Oilers Now. He'll be coming in uh, in town with the Centre Ice Summit. Uh, the group will be doing on-ice and off-ice skill developments during the summit. Takes place Thursday and Friday over at Rogers Place and the downtown community arena. And this is something that I like because, uh, you know, I sort of grew up watching the, the Alberta Golden Bears program and Claire Drake was one of the great sharers of information out there and was seen as a, you know, some called him the John Wooden of Canada, but you've got international coaches that are going to be attending the seminars where the best in each country will gather together to discuss and share how they teach specific skating and puck handling skills in the countries to learn from each other and compare techniques. So there's not this arrogance that Hey, we're Canada, best on best, last two Olympics we've won, right? We're consistently a, a top two or three team every year in the world juniors. You can always learn more from somewhere else, can't you? Uh, you certainly can. And, uh, you know, I, I think probably uh, a great way to explain it is we're partners in the game. Uh, the International Ice Hockey Federation, as the governing body over all of the federations, does a great job of, of helping to promote the relationships that exist between federations. And we're thrilled to be a part of um, uh, such a bright and, and enthusiastic community around sport. And like you say, Bob, the, the fact that, um, you know, the Swedes, the Finns, the, the U.S., the U.S. are very good partners of ours in a lot of initiatives. Uh, we talk to each other all the time. Even at the youth level, we talk about half-ice hockey. We talk about uh, body checking at the youth levels. We talk about the research that's helping us to drive decision-making. So um, there, when you think about bringing a group together like, like this at the summit, the last three years in the summer, we've run in Calgary the, we call it the National Coach Certification Instructor Stream Program, and that's what this is. It's an extension of that. But even in previous years, we've had coaches from Hungary, coaches from Switzerland, coaches from Germany uh, come to those seminars because they know that, you know, the next best thing in the game is what we call the skills coaches. Uh, they're the ones that are working on individual skill development with young players, and it's a really exciting development in the game today and again uh, we're leading the way uh, with our partners around the world but we're, we're leading the way in trying to define what the role of these skills coaches is you brought up body checking you know eventually I was going to go there uh, I grew up in a, so I'm early 50s Paul and I everybody hit right like that was just part of the territory and and part two of that was you learned how to take a hit at a young age and learn how to skate how challenging because to my understanding you, 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 you talked about all the governing bodies province to province is there a consistent age where hitting starts or is there differences between say Saskatchewan and Quebec there's a consistent age. Body checking is permitted at the bantam age level, not okay. before. So removed from peewee hockey right across the country. Right. And then uh, there's a distinction between uh, recreational and competitive hockey at the bantam and midget level. So there are parts of the country where if there's, if there's a large enough volume to separate recreational from competitive hockey, there'll often be an opportunity for youngsters to choose non-body checking, still contact, and still play the body in terms of, of the game, but no body checking. So no overt body checking in Bantam and Midget recreational hockey in a lot of places across the country. 
Well, was there just the, the data supported there were too many concussions for kids at the peewee age? Because, I mean, I can remember, you know, playing for the Strathcota Warriors in Peewee and St. Albert had Todd Ewan on their team and Manny Viveros, who's now a, uh, a coach with the Oilers. And, I mean, they were a dominant team. That was the type of team that could go to Quebec for that tournament and do quite well. And they were an intimidating group to play against. And we had, like, two guys that were anywhere near, you know, physically capable. And our whole team was, I'm the first to admit to it, our whole team was intimidated to, to match up with that. So did the data support that you were losing kids? At, they were getting turned off by the, the sport. There's other sports to go play. What exactly was the genesis of the decision to go competitive Bantam to start uh, processing hitting into the game? Well, there's a there's a there's a lot at play, but I'll I'll narrow it down to a couple of focus areas. Um, certainly, one was retention, uh, retaining kids uh, at the peewee age level. Um, you know, seeing kids leave the game or look for a non-body checking alternative. Um, and you know, so we are talking about the ages of 11 and 12, mm-hmm. and those youngsters were making decisions to to leave the game uh, or to look for non-body checking ho- options. That that wasn't certainly the the main reason. The main reason was looking at um, the. Um, I guess the best way to say it was the distraction from pure skill development, that when youngsters uh, um, have that level of, of concern, fear, intimidation, then where is the skill level of the game at the at the peewee age level if the focus isn't on puck control, passing, receiving, um, offensive team play, if a larger, more aggressive team um, without that level of skill had the ability to nullify a, a smaller, more skilled team, uh, then there's a real concern for whether or not kids are actually developing at the rate they need to. So uh, it was a great decision, and we've had a great response over time. Uh, it, what's really critical in all of this, Bob, is that uh, coaches at the Adam and the Peewee level do not ignore the need to teach checking skills. I, I find a lot of times coaches say, well, we don't have body checking at the Peewee level, so why do we need to teach any of this? Well, if you look at the pyramid from the skating skills to the conf- contact confidence to body contact, like those are pieces that must be. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. How do you feel great on vacation? Like, really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com in the game at the Adam and Pee Wee level in order for kids to transition to the body checking piece when they hit Bantam hockey. Yeah, this is uh, it's a, it's a real interesting uh, scenario because I was a super aggressive kid and I can tell you by the time that I was 12, my f- emphasis uh, from the coaches that I had on handling the puck were apps, you know, 
You don't handle it. You go to the front of the net, you create havoc, you run. Like, at 12, that was part of the, you know, part of the scenario. And obviously, it, you know, I just I just look at how skilled we are today, Paul, it, you know, it, with the players that are coming up. Just look at the change that's occurred with young defense and small defense. And, and that's another area where you would have had kids. Look at the type of players the WHL was supplying to the world junior team in the 1990s and contrast that to what we had out here last night with the Holinka tournament. You know, yeah, there were a couple bigger kids, but there's six-foot guys that are 180 pounds or 170 pounds, and those kids, they had to be like Bobby Orr going back 25 years ago. And it's a total uh, paradigm shift that's occurred in terms of how, uh, you know, how the game has grown, I think, for the better. Well, and and I know there's there's no body checking in female hockey, but like let's transfer that over to the discussion in female hockey in our national team pool from under 18 right through to the women's national team. There are some very small in stature players that excel in the game because of their skill level, and there isn't that intimidation factor. Uh, there isn't that size factor that that nullify. Uh, that small player from being skilled and being effective and and so use it at both sides of the equation in the female game and the male game um, you it's interesting though you're starting to see on the male game uh, big players six foot one six foot two can move the puck can get up the ice yep. as quickly as they do uh, they're the they're the second wave of the attack that weak side defenseman is right up there with the play and then they have the ability to be the first ones back so we're seeing a lot of skill, no matter the size of the player. Uh, but I, but I think in both sides of the game, the women's side of the game, the men's side of the game, it's critical that we are focused on skill development. Well, uh, you know, I'll cut to the chase with the, watching the women's gold medal game. Like the U.S. had smaller, faster players, and they carried the play as that game wore on. And I think you'll see an evolution take place with uh, the Canadian team as well, where you'll see girls that are four or women that are four eleven, five feet, five foot one that can absolutely fly, uh, making the team as well. Paul, just you brought up uh, skill development. What, what's your thought process on the smaller or minor hockey associations uh, competing? Uh, you know, I came up through the Southside Athletic Club in Edmonton. I wasn't any good. But, you know, five years ago or six years ago when Tyler Benson was the number one draft in the WHL Batham draft, you know, I think Southside had four kids go in the first round of that Batham draft. And now a lot of those kids are off to these uh, specialized elite hockey programs. I mean, how how just give me a, a thought in terms of, you know, what it's like to sort of uh, work in and around those programs that are charging a lot of money, may I add, uh, versus the more traditional, you know, community programs or uh, AA systems that exist in places like Edmonton and Calgary? Well, the sports school model, which um, certainly the sports schools that are members of Hockey Canada, is a, is a really good model. It's a model that's growing out of demand by families uh, looking for a combined academic athletic uh, pursuit. And, and there are a lot of players that go through that system that may never become a part of uh, a Western Hockey League roster, um, may never be drafted into the Western Hockey League or beyond that. Um, it's just a choice that families are making today. So there's there's an evolution that we have to pay very close attention to. I, I think the cost of, of competing at a sports school is relatively high based on the, the small volume of programs. As the number of programs 
uh, increase, um, then competition is closer and costs for travel go down, uh, costs for attending tournaments go down. So you'll see that sort of even out a bit. But at the same time, uh, what we'd really like to see is how the, the sports school model augments or supports a community-based model, which is you've got uh, recreational hockey, you've got competitive hockey, and then you've got sports school hockey. And people are making that decision based on uh, the fact that right now some of the sports school programs can offer practices during the school day or relatively close to the end of the school day and kids are home in the evening doing homework and having family time. So, you know, it is a different model. Uh, We have to be, again, sensitive to the fact that the consumer is making a a decision here and we've got to be prepared for how do we manage um, a really good balance and not ignore it and, and not try to um, dissuade it from growing, uh, but to be a part of that evolution and make sure that um, it supports the system uh, that grows young players in Canada. Final question for you, Paul. Uh, as a hockey guy, when you think back to Dominic Hasek standing on his head back in 1998, and then the subsequent you know, four Olympics where it was best on best, Canada winning three, all the success in junior hockey, um, the Holinka Gretzky now at Edmonton for three of the next five years. It has been a tremendous growth period for Hockey Canada, hasn't it? It has, and I think um, I think we have a real responsibility to our membership to ensure that we continue to turn over every rock and look at every opportunity to grow. And uh, from back to your original question, Bob, about what I do in in development is, you know, we really want to build out that grassroots level, that base of uh, recreational player, uh, competitive player. Uh, never want to build a system that compromises the quality of experience that a recreational player can have um, because we want to create this environment for competitive hockey. Uh, I think we continue to build as a nation uh, programming that meets that broad breadth of of demand from recreational to uh, competitive, and we want to see kids enjoy the game for the duration of their career as minor players and then just continue right on as young adults playing the game uh, whether they're playing at at competitive levels or they're playing at recreational levels in adult hockey it's it's just an exciting time to be a part of the game paul we appreciate your time thank you for joining us on orders now and enjoy your time at the center Ice summit Thanks very much, Bob. I appreciate it. You bet. That is Paul Carson. He is the VP of Hockey Development for Hockey Canada. It is 125 in Edmonton. This is Oilers Now. When you want to fly your Oilers colors with fan gear or outfit your fan cave, there's only one place. ProAmSports.ca Jerseys, apparel, headwear, and memorabilia from your favorite players and teams. Whether it's the NHL, the CFL, the NFL, MLB, or more, ProAm Sports are your fan cave specialists. And if it comes with a ProAm Sports Certificate of Authenticity, and hologram, you know it's 100% authentic, hand-signed memorabilia. So no matter who you cheer for, Pro-Am Sports has got your guy. Visit their Edmonton showroom on St. Albert Trail. Fill your fan cave at proamsports.ca. That's proamsports.ca. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. It's 127 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Oilers Now, live from Rogers Place. Again, the... 
Gretzky, the Holinka Gretzky tournament continues, and we'll have more guests coming up the next couple days uh, from this event. Canada against Slovakia tonight. Sweden takes on Switzerland here in about uh, an hour and a half at Rogers Place. Tickets at Ticketmaster.ca. List text from Topher. Bob. Topher is based in Red Deer. We don't hold that. There's a lot of really smart people in Red Deer. Best forward lineup in the game is the Maple Leafs. Of that, there is no debate. I'd say the Oilers' forward lineup sits somewhere at the bottom two-thirds. Don't believe me. Where did they finish last year? What impact players has Edmonton added? Other than a hope and a prayer, what is their plan to improve exactly? That one comes to us from Topher. Well... They need uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins to be a 30-plus goal scorer if he's going to play left wing with Connor McDavid. Uh, they need Tobias Reeder to be, you know, you heard the interview of Peter Shrella, 18 to 22 goals. They need Paul Yarvey. Can Paul Yarvey go from 12 to 20? Uh, you know, that sort of organic growth needs to occur here. That's the sort of thing that needs to have uh, to occur and happen for Edmonton to take a step forward. 129 in Edmonton, live from Rogers Place in Ice District. And it is a frosty one in our broadcast location here. Uh, Mark Spector, Stoffer Inspector every Tuesday during the regular season on orders now. Reminder of the Canadian Derby coming up in a couple weeks' time down at Northlands Park. Off to a global news weather traffic update from uh, with Eileen Bell. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.